This morning's message in our Advent series, again, the snapshot, the parable, is a, a parable that talks, us, talks to us about when Christ does come again. He's come already, but he's coming again. And how that challenges us, how that um, encourages us to think, to consider how we live today in light of Christ coming back again. This morning's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not bring any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour. So I'm a uh, sophomore in college, and it's September. It's right at the beginning of September, and the college that I attended didn't start for about another two or three days, but all the students were already on campus getting settled in their dorms or in their apartments as was I, but I had been on campus all summer working in the apartment, so I had been all settled and had all my stuff set up, my clothes were put away, my books were on the shelves and everything, and so it's one of the most blissful times as a student when you don't yet have the responsibilities of class, and you have everything done, you can just sit and have a good time. And on this particular day, September 4, 1992, I was having a good time with my four roommates and four girls from an apartment downstairs. Uh, We had some, we, we didn't know all these girls very well, but you know how college works. It doesn't matter if you don't know them, you can hang out and talk and get to know each other, and that's what we were doing. We knew one of the girls, and so we had invited her into our apartment at Delta 11. They were a Delta Six, 
And we, we uh, said, to, said to them, come on up, we're going we're gonna to hang out. And we had music on and we were laughing, talking about our summers. We were sharing about stuff that had gone on. And, and they said, they were telling us, because we said, oh, there's four. Where's the, the fifth girl in your apartment? And they said, oh, she's coming yet. Um, she's coming. She, she actually lives in California. And um, she just finished her summer job at a camp. Uh, and then they just ended late. So she'll be here sometime today. We're not sure when, but we put a note on our board in our apartment. We're upstairs in Delta 11. Come on upstairs when you get here. So we're sitting there, and I can picture it, because I was sitting in this couch doing what I always did, laughing, telling stories, you know, making jokes, being goofy, the the normal stuff of a sophomore college student sitting in this orange couch, the most comfortable couch in the whole wide world, perfect for napping and hanging out, although I'm fairly sure it wasn't sanitary because it was a college couch. That's how they were. And I, where I was, I was in the middle cushion of this big couch facing the doorway. Knock on the door. One of my roommates goes over, opens the door. And in she comes. Oh, baby. (laughs) She's not here today, so I can embellish this a little bit. (laughs) Long, blonde hair, sun-kissed by spending a lot of the summer on a beach. Tan skin, beautiful face, beautiful rest of her. (laughs) And the funny part is, I was dating another girl at the time. And it was like I saw Kristen and I knew that relationship was in trouble. Because this girl was something special. But it came when I was doing something normal. When I was doing something that I always did. Doing something that was regular, consistent. Hang out with my roommates, talk, laugh, have a good time. And suddenly, literally, in that moment, the rest of my life changed. Kristen Ann Rosenbaum has been my wife for over 20 years. Three children together. We have followed God's calling all over the country. We have hurt together. We've laughed together. We've rejoiced together. We've loved each other. But it all started in that moment when I was living out the normal and wasn't expecting this unexpected thing. In our parable this morning about the ten virgins, we see Jesus calling his people to think about their their everyday lives in light of something that will come that is so very unexpected, his return to earth, calling his people to his own. And he does that within the context of a wedding ceremony. Now, let's talk a little bit about wedding ceremonies in New Testament Israel. Wedding ceremonies were several-day affairs. There were a number of processions that were a part of wedding ceremonies. If there was a bridegroom who uh, pursued and had, was betrothed to a bride from another town to move from one town to the next town to go and see his bride, 
was a procession. And that's what we hear of here. That at the home of the bride, these virgins, ten virgins were waiting to hear that the bridegroom had come and they would join him from the entrance to the town to the home of the bride. And that was a time of rejoicing, a time of proclaiming to the town, he is here. These two will be joined. A family will be begun. God has been good. There was dancing. There was music that was part of this procession. And that was the beginning of, of really the next stage in the process when the bride would be proceeded or escorted by her bridegroom back to the bridegroom's home. That's not the part of the story that we're hearing. We're hearing the bridegroom coming. So there's still more to go on. And there would be people like the virgins who are a part of this procession. And the thing is that the bridegroom, just as the bride, would know Every person involved in this. Oh, they may not know them well, but my expectation is these ten virgins would probably contain family, sisters, sisters-in-law, cousins, different people who were uh, known to the bride and the bridegroom and were welcomed, were encouraged, were brought in to celebrate this beautiful thing, in part because just as we did with baptism this morning, they would be a part of the life, life of this couple in the years to come. So right from the beginning, participate in this. Participate in the celebration so that you can be prepared to participate in life. So these are ten people who are known to the bridegroom. But of course there's the problem. The problem is, is that five have gotten ready. They've, they've grabbed that extra jar on the way out the door and brought it along, but five didn't. Five at the end of their nap are stuck. They're stuck because they aren't prepared. They haven't done literally the split second action of grabbing the extra jar. And in doing so, they're making a statement to the bridegroom. Thus the words of verse 12. And what does he say there? He says, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. But wait, he does know them. He does know them. They're family members. They're extended family members. They're maybe friends of the couple. But he's saying to them, I don't know you. Why? Because their statement in their action is an affront to him. You aren't prepared for my coming. Do I not matter? Does my promise to come not matter to you that you wouldn't be prepared? You already fell asleep and now you had to go pursue more oil because you weren't ready. And the huge thing is these words of the bridegroom, truly I tell you, I don't know you, mirror Matthew 7 verses 21 through 23. Please turn over there for a moment. It's a convicting text. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says this. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That those words would be echoed in the parable of the ten virgins should give us pause. They should be convicting. In the Matthew 7 text, Jesus carries his condemnation, his I didn't know you even further. He says, you weren't prepared for my coming. I don't feel that you, I, I, don't, I don't hear in your action that you are listening to me, that you are following me. You love me. Get away from me, you evildoers. Whoa, this is not just about forgetting oil anymore. This is much deeper, much heavier, much broader. Because the bridegroom asks for full participation in the celebration of his wedding. Full participation. In fact, we hear it elsewhere in the text. Luke chapter 10 says these words, love the Lord your God with all. All. All your time, all your thoughts, as you exit your house to come and celebrate my wedding, that you love me even there to grab the extra jar. As you live in this world that you live in, all your thoughts, all your actions, all that you do, all your relationships, all your joys, all your sufferings, all your challenges, and all your success is lived in light of my love always. This is convicting. It cuts us to the quick. Especially because if we think about our lives, the question we ask is, are we prepared? Have we grabbed the extra jar of oil? Is our life lived in that state of allness to God? My hope is that we hear this challenge this morning, not with fear, I don't want you to go out of here say, oh no, Jesus is coming soon. I better look busy. I don't want that for us. I don't want us to sense that there is a condemnation that is coming if we are not prepared. Instead, for us to look at this with opportunity. Because it's not this whole thing, this whole idea of preparation for the coming of the bridegroom is not just about what will happen if we haven't done it. What is the, what is the, the consequence? What's the final result? It's even more so about what's the consequence for us in this life now if we don't live prepared. For us to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, 
doesn't just prepare us. There's more to it than that. It doesn't just prepare us for the day that the trumpet sounds and Christ rolls back the heavens and comes to judge his own. It's also about now. Because us living in a life of preparation with a heart that is in this world but has eyes on the future changes our world now. If we live into preparation, if we live into the kingdom, if we live into obedience to Christ, sharing love and grace, doing all that we do with all of ourselves, the world around us around us changes. Seeing our neighborhoods, our classrooms, our workplaces as places of preparation wakes us from sleep. But if not, then something is missed. Hear me here. Think of the neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, at least as far as you know. Think of the co-worker who doesn't know Jesus, at least as far as you know. Think of the family member who doesn't know Jesus, at least as far as you know right now. And perhaps God in his will has called you that his plan and purpose for his kingdom in your neighborhood, in this person's life, is that they hear the truth of the gospel through the love and the grace of your actions and the truth and the love of your words. That that is something that you are called to. If we don't live into the life of preparation now, we miss the opportunity presented to us by God. Now we believe that God is a sovereign God and that if God wills one person to be his own, he will do the work. He will bring someone else. He will bring some other action so that they do hear the gospel and they receive the grace of Jesus Christ. That will happen. But we've missed it. How many of you would love would love to be present when someone knows the grace of Jesus Christ for the very first time. You can just put up your mental hands again, all right? Every single one of us would love to be able to celebrate that moment with a new believer. It would grow us. It would challenge us. It would move us. It would allow us to move into a place of celebration and joy. Thank you, Lord, that you used me That when you called, I went. That when you told me to speak, I spoke. When you told me to listen, I listened. And I got to be a part of something eternal. I got to be a part of something forever. I got to be a part of something so beautiful. If we're not living into preparation... It's not just about the consequence in someone else's life. It's also about the consequence in ours. We miss those moments. And I don't want to miss them. I want more of those moments. And maybe it's not the first time that they know the love and grace of Jesus, but maybe it's a word of comfort that they hear again the love of Jesus. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's that they encourage me. And if I'm living into that preparation, I learn even more. But if I'm not living in preparation, I miss it. One of the 
worst phrases in the English language is this phrase, I'll make it up to you. And the reason it's one of the worst phrases in the English language is that it comes from the idea that you didn't do something that you have to make up for, right? Every husband in this room knows all about that, right? I'll make up for it. I messed up. I forgot our anniversary. Anyone ever been there? Oh, boy. There's not enough. I'll make it up to you in there, by the way. If you forgot a birthday. Or maybe in your workplace, something where you said, I was going to do this, or I was going to do that, and you didn't do it, or you didn't do it successfully. And we say, I'll make it up to you. I'll work harder. If I ask my kids to do certain chores or tasks around the house, I see it, especially in uh, Cameron and Troy, that if they see disappointment in the eyes of their parents, the next thing, they like work doubly hard. Instead of not doing the dishes like they didn't do the dishes, they not only do the dishes, but then they pick up the dog leavings in the yard outside. Or they put away the dishes and then wipe the counter. Maybe they sweep the floor. They want to make it. They feel that disappointment and they want to make it up to us by doing more than we even asked them in the beginning. But the challenge with that phrase is that no matter how hard my kid works to make it up, there's still that it doesn't quite equal. I still long for them to have done that the first time. And I feel disappointed because my words didn't matter to them. My request wasn't important enough for them to get off their iPod or for them to stop doing these other things that they were doing and do what I asked them to do. There's still a little sense in which it's good that you did hard work after, but I wish you would have done it right the first time. The problem is that when Jesus comes, this phrase is a non-factor. When Christ comes again, it's not something that works. I'll make it up to you, Jesus. I wasn't prepared, but boy, in eternity, I'm going to really work hard. I'll make it up to you. And the challenge is, is that I'll make it up to you. No, you won't. Unfortunately, you won't have a chance. Again, from Matthew 7, what does Jesus say? Get away from me, you evildoers. Now, again, I don't want to get to fear. I don't want that to be a motivation for our hearts and our minds. Instead, I want us to look at what it is that the five prepared virgins do and how we integrate that into our thinking about how we live into this world. Think about what it took for them to prepare. Think about it. You get, okay, it's, it's, it's time, it's that day. And you're, you're one, of the, one of these young women. And you're in your house and you're getting dressed up in your finery just like all the other nine virgins. You're doing your hair just like all the other nine virgins. You've, you've got your, your sandals on. You bring your extra cloak in case you get stuck outside at night because he's late. You got that so you can stay warm while you sit beside the side of the road waiting. 
And you walk out the door. And as you're walking out the door, ready to go join the other nine virgins, you think to yourself, you know what? Weddings never start on time. Because they never do. And if this one doesn't start on time, I need to, need to be ready. Well, Dad put a jar over here of extra oil. I'm just going to grab that just in case. Literally, that's a 10-second internal conversation that this young woman has in order to be prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. We're not talking about a lot of time and effort. Yes, it means that she's going to have to carry this throughout the time that she's waiting. Yes, it means that she's going to have to throw it over her shoulder. Be ready. It means she's going to have to care for it, make sure it doesn't break. Yes, all that is true. But literally, it's a split-second movement of the heart that allows her to then participate in the full celebration of the wedding. She's making a statement. I want to be a part of this. I want to celebrate the beauty of this marriage and I will do what I am called to do and make that happen in order to be a part of it. This woman has a heart movement that allows her to celebrate with the bridegroom in a way of full inclusion. The whole wedding, she doesn't miss anything. Her joy is complete. This normal, simple shift in how she does her activities opens the door to a great party. She's a part of the full. I don't know what happened even. We don't hear what happened to the other five virgins. Did they ever get included? The next morning when everyone awoke, were they a part of things? Or did the bridegroom say to them, no, you can't be a part. You weren't ready before. You can't be a part of the rest. We do know, however, that these five virgins, the prepared ones, had full participation. They enjoyed it all. They could celebrate in the presence of the bridegroom and the bride and rejoice in what it was that they were called to be a part of. And for us to think about that split-second shift of the virgin in our own lives, what sort of heart movement do we make in our Daily activity to live with an eye of preparation for Christ's coming again. Our normal life can reflect that. The simple things that you and I do. Go to the grocery store. Please do. You need food. But as you walk through the grocery store, instead of having the to-do list from other things in your mind or thinking, oh, this is the recipe. I need this, this, and this, and this. Think, Lord, who is it that you want me to talk to here? Who is it that maybe we don't even talk, but I can pray for them. I go to the staters out in Mentone and there's always interesting folks around Mentone and, and the staters out there. And I always, if I'm looking with eyes to see, have an opportunity to pray for someone there. And if not anyone there, then one of the employees, one of the workers at staters. I know some of those people there because I've shopped there so often and I know how to pray for them, God be praised. But it takes that simple shift in our minds that every moment... All our time, all our energy, all our actions are lived in light of who Jesus has called us to be now and who he is making us 
for the future. Our families then become places for us to share grace and love. It means that I can say the same things to my children that I would before, but I would say them with a different heart. The normal things, but unexpected in the heart shift that I make. Our interactions with our neighbors give us opportunity to share warmth and love. Yes, talk about the neighborhood. Yes, talk about each other's kids. Yes, talk about the normal things that you already would, but with a heart shift to how, Lord, can I be a blessing to this person? A simple, ordinary, normal thing becomes beautiful and a blessing and preparation for the kingdom come. Our workplaces and our classrooms then are fertile places for love and friendship. I think of this for some of you kids who are in school. That you can go through your day, and I envy you sometimes. You sit in the classroom, and then you have recess. And you sit in the classroom, and then you have lunchtime. And then you sit in the classroom, and then you have recess. And if you throw gym, art, or music in there at any point of the day, it's a great day. You've been able to do a lot of great stuff. But with a shift in the heart and the mind, all of that great fun stuff can be even more great, more fun, more beautiful. Who in your classroom needs your prayer? And it can be a simple, dear father, be with Jimmy today because he seems awfully lonely. Dear father, be with Jennifer today. She seems like she's having a tough time and she keeps on getting in trouble with the teacher. Maybe it's simply a word to another classmate who you just say, you know what? I'm really glad that I'm your friend. I'm really glad that we get to be in class together. I'm really glad that you are who you are. And our mind is saying, I care about you. I love you with the love that Jesus Christ has given to me. All of these places and spaces become fertile places for us to share friendship, love, encouragement, grace, joy. But it takes the mental, simple shift. Everything in our normal is an opportunity for the unexpected because you never know. You never know when that kid in your classroom is going to be blessed in a way that changes them. By your words. You never know when the conversation at the grocery store. You never know when the comment shared in love in the workplace is going to be the one that knocks the dominoes down and suddenly there's an opening that wasn't there before. You never know in your normal when the unexpected will come and Christ says, always be ready. Always be ready for me. Not just ready for me to come in the future, but ready for me now because I'm going to show up in your life. It's not going to look the same as it does when the trumpet sounds, but I'm going to show up. I'm going to come into your life, come into your world. I'm going to do things in you and with you, but you have to be prepared for that. You have to be ready in your normal for me to show up in the unexpected way. See me with your heart. See me with your mind. Listen to me with your ears. 
Because I will use you in a way that can change the world if you're prepared. And in this preparation, the kingdom grows. And we're already at the party. We're already there. The kingdom is now. And yes, it will come in its fullness in the future. But if we are living in preparation now, we are in that kingdom and seeing just a glimpse of the beauty that is to come. Now, I've talked at length over the past week and a half or so on how we respond to uh, this world in light of the violence that we experienced here locally a week and a half ago. And that we can isolate ourselves. That's a response. Some of you, I know you're afraid. In fact, I had a conversation among some staff members on Friday afternoon. We were talking and one of them said, I don't know what to do. I really feel like I have two choices. Get a shotgun to protect my family or just love everyone that I can possibly love in my neighborhood, in my community, and in my world. If I'm going to follow Jesus then that's my choice. And if I want to live in protection, here's my other choice. And I know for some of you, you're going to challenge that. You're going to think, but, but, but. And I I get that. And certainly it's a dialogue. But I want to put in front of us this morning that if we are living in a place of preparation for the kingdom come, for Christ's return, if we are living in a place where Christ will show up in our now, If we are living in a place where we see with eyes to see and ears to hear places where Jesus is showing up in our world, then our world, our existence, our families, and our homes is not marked by protection nor fear. It is marked instead by faith and love that I will trust, I will believe that regardless of what my circumstances are, even if I am in danger from the people of those around me, that I will live still, even still, even though it is scary, even though it is dangerous, in a relationship of love because I see that my king is coming. And he's coming now, but he's coming in the future. And I know through the grace of Jesus Christ that my future is sure. That can't be changed. So if something horrible happens now, that future is still the same. And I'm going to believe that if I'm living in this right now, this love and this grace right now, then Christ is going to look at that and he's going to say, well done. Well done, servant, because that's what I do with the world. I live in a relationship of love and grace. Yes, judgment, yeah, but that's mine. That's God's, not ours. Praise be to Jesus that it is not ours. I'm just going to look, and yes, that's a hard shift to make, but it is a shift that is necessary for us to live in the kingdom. The snapshot this morning that we want to go away with is a snapshot of preparation. A snapshot that says our hearts are always turned on to what Christ calls us to do. They're always ready. They're always in that we will love the Lord our God with all our heart. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes. 
But those mistakes simply call us back and say, okay, I didn't do this one, but I'll make it up to you, Jesus. I'll try right now because someday I can't make it up to you anymore. I'm going to next time learn, grow in my love and my grace. Now, usually I don't go over these going deeper points, but I'm, I want to go over the going deeper points really quick this morning. And the first two you can see there. But the last one is really important. And I really want to put this challenge out there. I think it's a valuable one. Try with eyes of preparation for one day. One day. Tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, you pick. To look at every single person you come in contact with with eyes of love. And guess what? That includes... Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. That includes the president. That includes any Muslim, any article you read, any report you see on television. Even somebody who with a mask on is holding an AK-47 over a group of Christians. It's even the father who hurts you. It's even the friend who has betrayed you. For us to have those eyes of love, if maybe for one day, I would encourage you to make it a lot more days than that. But if it's for one day, that's a day, folks, of preparation. May God bless you and I as we prepare. Would you pray with me? Living God, hope of the world in Jesus Christ. We thank you that when we know the grace of Jesus, when we know the love of Christ, when we live in with eyes to see that grace and hearts that are that are shifted into that grace, we know the future is sure. We know that your light is within us. We know, Lord, that the world can change around us. Help us, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, change us. Change us from fear. Change us from hearts of weakness. Change us from brokenness into you. (laughs) Because you are all the things that we need. Change us, Father, that all of ourselves. We may love you with all of ourselves. All that we do, all that we think, how we interact with people in our world, how we interact with the world in general, even those people that we disagree with. And Lord, that that is our preparation. Preparation for what is to come, but also, Lord, that our preparation reflects the kingdom right now growing in us and around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.